is there's a rich Christian heritage and uh, on the Trail of Tears Cherokees sang hymns trusting God to get them through those hard times thank Heather for the work God's having her do now and music ethnology pronounce it I'm not sure <laughs> but a beautiful beautiful venture God has drawn this morning as I was listening to the worship team, and wasn't it a blessed morning of worship? There just seemed to be we're all together today in a beautiful way. The song in Christ alone embraces, to a degree, the passage that I want us to look at today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you once lived following the age of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the disobedience. All of us once lived among them in the desires of our flesh, following the wishes of the flesh and the impulses, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love he had for us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, brought us to life with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Raised us up with him and seated him in the heavens in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from you. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one may boast. For we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus for the good works that God has prepared in abundance in advance that we should live in them. Now this is a passage that's so well known to us and we read it often that because of familiarity it's often very easy just to read through it and pass on not plumbing the depths of the truths that we find in each one of these verses. This morning I invite you to join with me as we reflect on the details and the central message of this passage. And the proposition of these verses is in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from you. It is the gift of God. Before Paul makes that marvelous truth, however, he begins by making other statements concerning our condition as humans and contrasting that with our state as we come to know salvation through the grace of Jesus. First, he describes our condition prior to our receiving this marvelous grace as being dead, and that's, that's clearly what he says. You were dead. 
What's death? Well, one way to define death is separation. Something is dead when life leaves it. Our human body is dead when our spirit leaves it to go be with Christ or at least to that intermediate state where we're awaiting the ultimate return of our Lord. Dead. You were dead. Most people in the world don't know they're dead. (laughs) Now, when I was young, it was the custom, or very common at least, to have some kind of farm creatures in your backyard. We always had chickens and sometimes ducks. We had a a building where I kept my horse. Uh, that That was just common. That's the way it was. Of course, our yards were a little bigger. But we always had chickens. And when my mother wanted to cook chicken for dinner, we'd go out and either she and sometimes I would help her because it wasn't always easy to do. You'd catch a chicken. Or maybe two, depending on how many you're going to have for dinner. And for some reason, the women always did this. I never saw a man do it. It was always the women. You'd grab the chicken by its head and wring its neck, and you'd have the head in your hand, and the chicken then would jump about. I heard of one man who saw that for the first time. He said, that chicken is dead, but don't know it. (laughs) And that's the way much of the world is. (laughs) Dead, and they don't know it. I remember years ago as a child seeing an Abbott and Costello movie that I remember I laughed so hard, I actually fell out of the seat on the floor of the theater laughing. But in this story they encountered zombies. (laughs) Zombies, people that are dead, and yet here the bodies are by some voodoo are moving about, doing things, but they're dead, but don't know it. The world says, loosen up, (laughs) live a little, get a life. But the life they often are urging us to embark upon is not life, it's death. Romans 13, 13, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, and on and on. Galatians 5, 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. In other words, <laughs> he could have gone on and on. <laughs> Things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 4, 3, the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking, parties, and abominable idolatries. You know, as I read these, (laughs) I think of the Tulsa Blue Dome District. 
I think of the Brady District. I think of Brookside on Friday and Saturday night, Cherry Street on Friday and Saturday night, and what soon probably will be true in the Pearl District on 6th Street. Drinking, carousing, even talking about creating a shuttle now that can take you from place to place to find a new bar. Hooking up, and that's life. No, it isn't. That's death. Heard the story this past week of a man who was looking in a mirror, and as he looked in the mirror, he began to say to his wife, Oh, honey, I see an old man. I used to have a six-pack ab, but now all I see is a bunch of flab. Oh, it's ugly. I need some encouragement. Can you encourage me in any way? Is there anything you admire? And she touched him on the shoulder, and that old sweetheart, I admire your excellent eyesight. (laughs) The world needs to look in the mirror. (laughs) And all of us do too from time to time, don't we? And pray to God to give us excellent eyesight. But you know, Paul was not only saying this to those Ephesians, you, but notice he says, we, all of us, once lived, so on and so on. And we're by nature children of wrath, just like the rest. Now that's something to think about, isn't it? Paul was not a carouser. Paul was not a man who lived life to party. Matter of fact, he was a very precise practitioner of religion. He writes about himself in Philippians 3, 3, We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, who have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinks that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting, and catch this, touching righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You could put Paul's life under the microscope and not find a single flaw in him if it had to do with keeping the law. But he said, that doesn't do it. Elsewhere he said, keeping the law, trying to gain heaven by rules, is the rudiment elements of this world. And yet, even though he was one who did not live what one would say is a sinful life, and he kept the law perfectly, he describes himself as being one of those who is a child of wrath, the wrath of God pointed toward him. But in that time, he was dead and didn't know it until the Lord Jesus appeared to him. You know, even churches can be dead and not know it. Revelation chapter 3, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, 
He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. (laughs) Wake up. Strengthen the things that remain which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember, remember what you've received and heard. Keep it. Repent. You do not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you'll not know at what hour I will come to you. Think about that. This was a church that was well known for its great deeds. Busy in ministry, doing things that gave it a reputation. If we think in our modern day, if someone were moving to Sardis, their home minister would have said, when you get to Sardis, be sure and look up that church. And when they got to Sardis, They could have asked almost anyone, can you tell me where the church is? Yeah, we know all about that church. It had a great reputation. But Jesus said, you're dead. You're dead. It is possible for a church to have the appearance of life, but be dead. Similar thing with the Ephesians church in chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, or rather the Lord Jesus speaking to John, described that church, and he said, you you really have all your doctrine right. False apostles come in. You don't accept them. You even hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which, which I hate too. But I have this against you. You lost your first love. Brother and sister, there's a real danger that when we become concerned with having our doctrine precise, we become more concerned with that doctrine rather than why it is important. The reason is to be obedient to Jesus. And if we're obedient to Jesus, we'll have our doctrine right, but so often it becomes an intellectual exercise in which we're concerned about correctness of doctrine but we're not doing it because of our loyalty to our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is possible for us to be dead. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Though I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profiteth me nothing. And Jesus said, He who loves me keeps my commandments. And that should be the motive for why we do care about having it right, not just to have it right and say, look at us, we got it right. But is it because of our love of Jesus and we are in obedience to him? The world is dead, but doesn't know it. Let us look in the mirror (laughs) And pray for ourselves that God will give us clear eyesight. God is rich in His mercy because of His great love for us. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You've heard me quote that so many times. You may get tired of it, but to me that's That's one of the most significant verses in all of the Bible. For 
righteous man, none would dare to die. For a good man, some may dare to die. But God commends his love toward us, not because we were righteous or good, but that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That, to me, is a more powerful verse even than John 3.16, which contains the same truth. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. The mercy and grace of which Paul speaks here. Mercy, I'm not getting what I deserve. And grace, I get what I don't deserve. Two sides of the coin of God's goodness toward us. All of humanity is destined for hell. But because of God's mercy, there is a way of escape. We mentioned a year ago or so, I believe, when there was a great controversy raging in popular books being written questioning whether or not Jesus is the only way. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And one writer commenting on that said, Jesus did not mean in order to get to God you have to get by me. Of course that's not what he meant. He didn't say I've put up a roadblock and you've got to overcome me to get to God. That's not what he was saying. But all the world is going to hell. And as humanity cries out for a way to escape, God says, I've made a way. I have created a road. One road, but I've created it. And that road is Jesus Christ, God's mercy. Brother and sister, we have a responsibility to tell the world there is a way of escape and by the power of the Holy Spirit to convince the world that it's dead. And it has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. This neighborhood needs to know there's a way out. The folks in China need to know there's a way out. The folks in Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, you name it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they need to look in that mirror and see death. But to know there is a way out. Sometimes I think we're too shy. Remember when Ahab met Elijah? And when he did, he said to Elijah, Oh, there you are, you troubler of Israel. <laughs> Elijah said, I'm not the trouble of Israel. You're the one who's the trouble of Israel because of your sin. We need to become troublers of Israel. To lose the shyness, the timidity, the, the fear of declaring the truth in every opportunity that we have. God's mercy and the other side of the coin is grace. 
You know, it's interesting, as you read Paul's letters, every single one of them, he begins with the salutation, grace and peace to you, and sometimes adds some other things from God the Father and his Lord Jesus Christ and so on. Now, the traditional greetings among the Jews when they would meet someone, we say, hello, hi, how are you? The Jew, it was shalom, shalomly, peace to you. If you met a man or a woman, depending on whether it's male or female, mashlom ha, mashlom In other words, that's like saying, how y'all doing? And the response was, shalomly, peace to me. I'm doing well. How y'all doing? <laughs> you know? So the Jewish greeting always contained the word peace. As a matter of fact, it really kind of meant nothing because that's just the way they, when you meet somebody and you say, how y'all doing? Do you really want to hear? Usually not. But the Christian greeting had something the Jewish greeting didn't have. Grace. Peace to you. And grace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the way Paul began every single one of his letters. And the greatest grace that God has given us is that way out. And his mercy has caused it to be. There's just so much in this passage. You know, as I look at it, I thought, I cannot begin to even properly mine a single verse. So we're just touching the surface this morning. This passage talks about the marvelous results of God saving us brought us to new life in Christ. Now, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 19, you really see a flow of thought beginning. What is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance, this great power, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So that's where it begins. And then verse 1 of chapter 2 begins with the Greek word chi, which means and also or even. What he's saying as you follow the flow is that even as Christ was dead physically, so we are dead Spiritually, And the same power that raised him from the grave is the same power that raises up from spiritual death to spiritual life. Marvelous thing to think about, isn't it? The very power that resurrected the dead Christ is the very power that resurrects, resurrects us as dead spiritual beings. And we are delivered from the wrath. And then here's an interesting thing that Paul says. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Now, good works can be a tricky subject to think about. On one hand, we can view good works as those things that get us merit badges. You know, I was an Eagle Scout, the Shepherd Boys Eagle Scouts, Bruce Clutter, an Eagle Scout, I think, Tom Buck, a Life Scout. Those of us who were Boy Scouts, we had this merit badge sash. And as you, and they were difficult to earn. You, you earned a particular emblem badge to put on your sash, and after a while, if you really were an achiever, and by the time you were an eagle, pretty full. I think I gave mine to one of my sons recently. So you work to get these merit badges. Doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. <laughs> it's all by His grace and mercy. But if we really have this new life in Christ, our lives will be filled with good works which is an outflow of that life, who we are. Cows moo, horses whinny, and the redeemed do good works. It is our nature to do that. Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. You will know a tree by its fruit. What kind of fruit is evident in my life? Some of it kind of spoiled, what kind of fruit is evident in your life? What we experience, of course, in this life, in verse 7, is a result of God's mercy. But think about the next life in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He raised us up. We'll be with Christ. Why did God do that? What was the driving motive in God? So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I hath not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to get a glimpse? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to get a glimpse? The glimpse we have is the experience of walking with God in this world the experience of walking with one another and the love of God in this world. But just a teeny, tiny foretaste of what's ahead. Praise be to his name. Of course, none of this would be possible, would it, were it not for the cross. We partook of the loaf and the cup this morning, which, among other things, is designed to be that mirror. <laughs> Examine yourself, then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Parallel passage to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is Colossians 12 to 14. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him, 
through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having counseled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Praise be his name. Father, we thank you today that you who are the creator and the ruler of the universe are a God of mercy and grace. And Lord, those of us in this room, thank you that you have allowed us to hear of that road out, Jesus Christ, and to experience in our lives now that mercy and grace, looking forward to experiencing it in abundance when you say, come home, in Jesus' name, amen.